The sermon lesson comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel that he was commanded, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them, or with him. This is the word of the Lord. Our good and faithful God, our, our prayer is that of Psalm 119, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word and of Moses who once said, Lord, please show me your glory. Open our eyes and open our hearts to your light and to your life. Amen. So part of what it means to be human is that we are drawn to and we were designed for beauty. So much of our endless scrolling through technology is not about our search for new information, but it is about this search for beauty, to see something that would do something inside of us. And the same is true for art, for music, sports, movies, nature. Our hope in all of this search for beauty is to be able to behold something that will bring a kind of joy, a kind of healing, a kind of hope that we all long for. And this pursuit is not bad. It's what we were made for. But the problem comes when we begin pursuing this beauty that we were made for in all of the wrong places and in all of the wrong kind of ways. Our hearts were made to be focused on and filled with a very specific kind of beauty. A kind of beauty that will give life, that will give joy, that will give healing and hope. And what God is doing in both of the passages before us is redirecting the gaze of our eyes and redirecting the gaze of our hearts towards this beauty that we were made for, and this beauty that whether we realize it or not, we all long for and are pursuing in all that we do. And so to help us really grasp why this matters so much for us, there are four questions that we have to answer. First, what is this beauty? Second, am I seeing this beauty? Third, am I soaking in this beauty? And fourth and finally, am I reflecting this beauty? So beauty, seeing, soaking, and reflecting. First, what is this 
beauty. So if you are new to resurrection, we have been journeying together through this Old Testament book of Exodus. And the last week, we saw Moses coming before God asking this prayer to see this greater life-giving beauty. And he asked God to see this when he says, Lord, please show me your glory. Glory is all about beauty. It's about worth. It's about value. And so Moses is praying, Lord, show me who you really are. And what we see is God revealing himself in what Moses sees, but even more in what Moses hears about God's character and his mercy and abounding grace and faithfulness. And Moses' response to God answering this prayer is one of worship. When he sees this beauty, his heart is filled with wonder and awe and amazement because of the value of what is right before him. And what we see in our passage this morning is that this experience with God has a very strange and unexpected effect on Moses. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So when Moses enters into God's presence, who is both light and life, that presence can be seen reflected on Moses' face. And so Moses here is able to both see and experience God in a, in a way like no one else can at this time and at this place. But this is where we're going to go to our New Testament passage and see how it reflects back on this experience because our New Testament passage says something very bold about us and about our vision actually being clearer than Moses and about our experience actually being better than what he experienced. So basically, when it says Jesus is the image of God, what it's saying is that Jesus is this perfect reflection of who God is. Elsewhere, we're told He's the radiance of the glory of God. So that the Son is going to be a mirror image of the Father. And so when our text is talking about seeing the glory of Christ or the beauty or worth or value of Christ, it's talking about seeing the glory of God. Those are the same. They are synonymous. But Moses was told back then that he would be able to see God in a closer way, but that he couldn't see his face, which was a strange which was a strange barrier. But now, something different is in our experience. We are told that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We can see God's beauty, God's glory, God's worth, His value in the person of His Son, 2 Corinthians 4.6 in our passage says, God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. So my wife is a photographer, and often she does weddings, and recently she did a wedding out of town, and because it was a wedding on a beach, I decided to go with her and help out in any way that I could, but my idea of that help was getting the night off, maybe helping carry some things, but she gave me a camera and put me to work, (laughs) which is risky because I know next to nothing about photography, and I rarely ever take pictures. But the good news is that there was only one picture that she really wanted me to get. And so she brought me over, says, I want you to stand right here. She set the fixtures of the camera and she pointed. She says, I want you to stare here and here's the picture that I want you to get. When when the bride begins to come down, I want you to get a picture of the look on the groom's face. And we're all familiar with this picture and what happens. That once the groom is able to see this bride, this woman that he is pledging his life to, what you see on his face is delight and wonder and joy. And sure enough, that's what happened. I got a great picture. (laughs) But what's happening in his face, as you can see, there is joy, there's gratitude, there's love. You see tears. There's a sense of even the weightiness of this moment. So in his face, you can see a picture of how he feels about this woman and about what he loves about her. Get this. In Jesus being the face of God, in Jesus we see the heart of the Father towards us. So that in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, we see God's compassion. We see God's pursuit. We see God's humility and power and healing and wisdom and patience and grace and faithfulness and goodness and light and life. In Jesus, we see the links that God is willing to go in order to make us his. In Jesus' face, we see God's delight in us, His joy in us. We see a picture of what God really feels and thinks about us. One of His disciples would later say this in 1 John 4. He said, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him because this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be a sacrifice. In a strange way, the the cross is this beautiful unfolding of God's heart towards us. As John Owen, pastor theologian, said hundreds of years ago, it's in Christ alone that we may have a clear, distinct view of the glory of God and of all His excellencies. That's the beauty that we were made for. The beauty that we were meant to see. Which brings us to our second question. Are we seeing this beauty? Because our New Testament passage makes this sobering reality clear that not everyone is actually able to see this beauty. Not everyone looks at Jesus and has a sense of wonder and awe and trust and amazement. And Paul, what he does is he takes this image from our Exodus passage about how Moses, just like there was a veil 
that prevented the people from seeing God's glory reflected in His face. He says in the same way, there's this barrier that's keeping people from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. There's something that is breaking that connection. And there's all sorts of different things that you could chalk this up to, but the text brings out two particular. One is just a hardness of heart. The simple reality that it's not what we're looking for, it's not what we're interested in, and we simply don't care. And there's so many other things in this beautiful, in this world that are just more beautiful, that are more life-giving that we want to look to and give our attention and our hopes to. But there's another reason in here. Another part of the blindness is, is actually due to the work of what we see throughout Scripture as God's great enemy, who is really called the Satan, which, which is not a formal name. It just means the accuser. It's descriptive of how he works in our lives. And so we're, we right now are less than two weeks out from national and local and state elections. And you can tell that by the text messages you're getting and by all of the different ads that you are hearing on the radio and you are seeing on television. And while a few of these ads are highlighting what is so good and wonderful about one candidate, most of the ads are bent on telling you why the other candidate is so terrible and why it would be a tragedy for you to vote for that person and have them in office. It seems like that's what everybody does. One of, one of the great strategies of the enemy, of God's enemy and our enemy, as we see here, is to cast God in a negative light and to try to keep us from being able to see just how good, just how beautiful, just how trustworthy, just how faithful that, and how life-giving that he really is. So that it says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those that are perishing. It's covered, it's blocked. In their case, the God of this world, another title for Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What we see is a constant political campaign against Jesus trying to look at him and say, he is not worthy, he's not good, he's not real, he didn't do what he said he did, to try to block that and to try to, to shield it. But if the work of the enemy is to conceal, what we see here is the work of the Spirit is actually to reveal. And the language here is very powerful. It goes back to creation. When there was darkness and God said, let there be light. And what happened? There is light. It says something very similar happens in our hearts. There is darkness and God says, let there be light and we can see. It takes divine power. God said, let light shine out of darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The work of the Spirit is to open eyes and help us to see just how good, just how beautiful He really is. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we seeing it? And one of the best ways that you can tell if you see some of this glory and this beauty is that Jesus is more valuable to you than anything, or at least you want Him to be, and that the totality of your life is about following Him. That's, that's a sign that you have at least caught some 
of the weight of who he really is, that your life says, that's, that's what I want. That's who I want. And wherever he goes, that's where I go. But while seeing is critical, there's also more to this, which brings us to our third question. Okay, here's this beauty. The question, are you seeing it? Now is it, are you soaking in this beauty? So as winter approaches here in Athens, we are going to get less sunlight day after day. It's going to get uh, darker earlier. Now, if you live in Alaska, it's a very different story. So if you go up north and you go to Juneau, Alaska, there's going to be days where you're only going to get six hours of sunlight. Now, if you go a little bit further north to Fairbanks, you're going to have days in which you're only going to get three hours of sunlight. Think about what that would be like to just have three hours of of daylight. But if you go a little bit further north to a small town called Barrow, Alaska, there's going to be 67 days in which you will not see the sun in any way, shape, or form. So I know this sounds crazy, but on November 18th, the sun will set, and it will not rise again until January 23rd. And what happens, research has shown, is in these places, the, the rates of seasonal during these times will spike significantly. Because it makes a big difference on the body whether we see the sun for a few minutes whether we are exposed to the sun for, for hours. So there is a big difference between knowing that the sun is there and, and seeing it one time and then just soaking in it constantly. So what we see in our passage in Exodus with Moses is not just a passing knowledge of God or a single experience of God's glory, but we see this repeated exposure of God bringing himself, of of Moses bringing himself into the presence of God and saturating himself with this light, with this life. And, And if that's true for Moses, if that's the pattern of his life, how much more true should that be for us who can actually see more clearly and can see an even greater glory and greater beauty? It's easy for us to think about the Christian life primarily as just a bunch of rules to follow and getting those down and trying to be good enough. But at the heart of it, it's about seeing this beauty and about soaking it in. Soaking in what is called the light of the gospel or the good news of the glory of Christ. Robert Murray McShane was a pastor in the 1800s and he was writing a letter to encourage a friend who was struggling and I've included an excerpt in that in the front of your worship guide. But he wrote this word to to a friend who, who needed help. He said, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He's altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet meekness and grace and all for sinners, even for the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. How many of us think about our journey of faith in those terms, of of living underneath 
God smiles. Bask in His beams. Feel the all-seeing eye settled on you in love. And rest in His almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. In other words, soak yourself in this good news. And that's the question for each of us. Am I soaking this in? What is your daily and weekly exposure to this light? The light of the good news of the glory of Jesus. When we think about our spirituality, do we have more of kind of a microwave spirituality? It's very quick. It's very efficient. Or do we have more of kind of a crockpot spirituality? It's slow, extended, where the juices of the gospel are just soaking in us and that we get it more and more. And it becomes more of a part of who we are. And that brings up another question. What, what do you soak in week after week? We're all doing this in all sorts of different ways. We're immersing ourselves in, in all sorts of, of different things that we think will give this joy, this hope, this healing. Where is it for us? There is a greater beauty that we need to be immersed in. And this brings us to our final point. So we're, we're called to see this beauty. We're called to soak in this beauty. But it's not just about us. And the good news of us being able to experience this beauty personally, it is also about us reflecting this. So our final question, are we reflecting this beauty? So every time Moses would come face to face with God, his, his face would shine and others were able to see it. And in turn people were able to see in Moses a reflection, a glimpse of the light and life that is in God only. But something we're told even better happens for us. When we see, when we are exposed to the light of this good news of the glory of Jesus, when we sit before who He is as a reflection of the Father, we're changed. Not with an external brightness, but with an internal transformation. So it says, And we all, with unveiled face, no barrier, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The Greek word behind transformation there is just metamorphosis. This isn't a change in behavior. This is a change in who you are at the very core but what are we being transformed into? It says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What we're being changed into is to be like Jesus, who is perfectly like the Father. So that when others experience us, and the things we do and the things we say, and how we live, when they experience how we love with purpose, when they experience how we serve in costly ways, how we forgive real wrongs done to us, how we confess our own wrongs and ways in which we fall short, how we welcome outsiders, how we listen with compassion, how we stand up for the truth, 
how we walk in wisdom, how we pursue purity, how we fight against evil, how we live with humility because we know that we are saved by grace and by grace alone. When that happens, people get a glimpse of who God really is. When people experience you on a daily basis, what do they experience? What message is your life sending? What picture of God are you reflecting to a watching world? And if we're honest, we're always sending mixed messages. Because we're not Jesus, we're slowly becoming like Him. But here's where we're close. Even as we think about the ways in which we, we don't reflect accurately, the way forward isn't just to try harder. Isn't just to create these new rules and this, this wellness plan by which we are going to take steps to get better and become more like Him. What we read in this passage and this clear is that we are changed by increased exposure to the good news of the light, of the glory of Christ. And so our great need is not just to try harder, but to see more clearly. And so I want to close with this prayer for us that we've heard already in the assurance of faith. And it's a prayer that that Paul prays. And it's a prayer that our eyes might be opened, that we will be able to get just a little bit more how deep, how wide, how high, how rich, how full is this love that God has for us in Jesus, and then it might change us. Let's pray. God, for this reason, we too bow our hearts before You that, that we, being rooted and grounded in Your love, might have strength to be able to comprehend in new ways with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with your fullness. May it be so. Amen.